the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Oh, good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us. Let us get started at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Monday morning. Start of a new work week. Hopefully you've got a good day started already. It's the second morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up this morning in about an hour and a half, at about 10.35, we have one guest. If you are doing the math there, you recognize I have just glossed right over the 9.35 portion in which we normally talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. He is in the air this morning, so uh, he is unable to join us. We're going to talk to him later this week, maybe tomorrow, maybe on Wednesday. We'll let you know when we do know. So Congressman Jordan will not be with us, but... Coming up at 10.35 this morning, we're going to talk about, um, well, we're going to talk about binary versus non-binary. There's a book that's been written by somebody who is is more than just an opinion giver. Um, it's a scientific research project, to be 100% honest with you. It really is a, um, uh, a solid amount of actual science quoted in the book in a series of videos on a very impressive website that aims to essentially debunk um, you know, the, the trans nation that we have become. Um, it, it, it talks about in every scientific term possible the realities of the binary, meaning males and females and nothing uh, in between. 
and nothing additional, and so forth. It, it deals with intersex. It deals with all of it. It's a really interesting look. I have no idea what the author's going to say, but we're going to talk to Zachary Elliott about it coming up at 1035 this morning. So that's our only guest today, which gives us plenty of time to discuss the news together at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We have a lot to get to here. Before we get started with some of these very important issues, uh, what do you say we go ahead and start with our Pledge of Allegiance? Patriots, go ahead and stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a believer in outspending anything and everything that our future grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren after them could ever hope to pay down the way the radical left wants us to spend, well, then you really have no earthly idea what this country is about, nor do you have any respect for that flag. So go ahead and uh, take a knee instead. For the rest of us, let's stand proudly and say... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So just to kind of get started this morning with the biggest news, you, you uh, it, it, it depends on your perspective. If you're trying to disassociate yourself from the you know political maneuverings on capitol hill with respect to budgets and appropriation bills and continuing resolutions if you're just bored by all that you join the club i mean i find it all just exceedingly boring as well sadly though it is exceedingly important And we do need to know what's going on. And we do need to know how our money is being spent because of what I said in my intro to the pledge. We are $33 trillion in debt and growing. We are operating on a nearly $2 trillion budget deficit right now. And the government was about to close down because they could not figure out how to continue to fund it. Um, It's a mess. To put it bluntly, it is an absolute mess. They went ahead and passed a CR, a 45-day continuing resolution, which essentially continues to fund all of Biden's ridiculous um, uh, projects. Okay? The alternative was not pleasant either. The shutting down of the government, of course, means that a whole bunch of people go on furlough, military doesn't get paid, and so forth. They all get made well and made hold on the back end. But you know how this thing looks. You know how it works. So shutting the government down was certainly nobody's goal. But passing a continuing resolution with just spending the way things are is, is, um, is not acceptable either. And so the reality is what we did or what they did, I should say, on Capitol Hill, by passing this thing was kicking the can, as they like to say, 45 days down the road. Bottom line is this thing will uh, will fund the government until shortly before Thanksgiving. Um, The threat of the shutdown moved enough people uh, off of their purchase to go ahead and pass this, and Biden even signed it, even though he didn't get everything he wanted, including funding for Ukraine. So again, I I don't want to spend a ton of time on this other than to say Any spending bill that is done by our federal government, our Congress, any spending bill, uh, any appropriations bills that do not do what the first and most important responsibility or obligation of the federal government uh, to do uh, should should not be considered. And, of course, what I mean is protecting the homeland, protecting you, me, your family, my family from invasion, protection, 
Our border security has to be of paramount importance. If it is not, then I don't want anything to do with it. But the reality is there were a whole bunch of people who knew that we couldn't get all of that settled by Sunday or Monday morning, uh, so they went ahead and had to do this. The bill funds the government until November 17th. It passed 335 to 91. That's uh, on the House side. It passed, uh, what, 88 to 9 on the Senate side. Um, and and sadly, it is just a continuation, as I said, of the Biden spending, you know, spendathon on things that do not matter, including our border. And that's what makes this thing so frustrating. I'm not sitting here telling you this morning I'm mad because we didn't shut down the government, but I am saying that we should have to take drastic steps in order to get drastic results, and we need drastic results. So while I did not want to shut down the government any more than anybody else did, I did not want to vote for this nonsense uh, to continue governing as is. So there are some names you should know. Washington Examiner put together uh, a list on the Senate side, and I'm very happy to say that one of these nine members of the Senate that voted against funding this uh, this uh, continuing resolution, or voted against continuing the funding via this resolution, uh, includes Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, Mike Braun, Indiana, Ted Cruz, Texas, Bill Haggerty, Tennessee, Mike Lee, Utah, Roger Marshall, Marshall Kansas, uh, Rand Paul, Kentucky, Eric Schmidt, Missouri, and yes, J.D. Vance, Ohio. He and they voted against this ridiculous continuing resolution. Again, none of them, same story as I just just described, they don't want to shut down the government, but they do not want to allow this to continue to be pushed right until the zero hour when it's shut down or continue giving the Democrats the money that they want to spend as haphazardly, dangerously, and irresponsibly as they as they want. That's the reality of this. Haggerty spoke and said, my colleagues know I've worked my heart out to this end, and I look forward to working with them in the next 45 days to accomplish this critical goal. Uh, But he was not going to vote for this continuing resolution. During negotiations, he said, I made it very clear I wouldn't support any short-term funding bill that doesn't include serious border security measures. And to help put an end to the Biden border crisis, and I'm keeping that commitment. J.D. Vance kept that commitment, too. So I'm very, very happy about that. On the House side, obviously a lot more people, but I'm also proud to say that among the among the uh, 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 opponents of extending this, you know, this continuing resolution and extending the Biden agenda, were two Ohio Congress members. Two, only two. So I should say I'm proud of them, but I'm not proud overall um, because that's not enough, quite frankly. But in the U.S. House, there were, there were as I noted, uh, several Republicans. I mean, it was still an overwhelming, quote-unquote, bipartisan victory, and that's what they love about this, talking about the Democrats. They love to be able to say, you know, they got a huge bipartisan victory. This is a victory for the Biden agenda. This is a victory for the American people. They said it's a defeat for, you know, conservative, right-wing, MAGA extremists in the Congress. But among the 91 that uh, members of the House that voted against this were Warren Davidson of Ohio and, yes, Jim Jordan of Ohio. So we have some people fighting for us, obviously not nearly enough in a 335 to 91 vote. Obviously not nearly enough. But these are the people, and obviously I can't wait to talk to Jordan again, these are the people that we need to rally around and rally behind. 
So outside of that, um, you know, th- there's not a whole heck of a lot more to say. I could and probably should give you some of the specifics of individuals who voted to kill amendments that would defund woke federal programs, because these are people that we should not be proud of. Several dozen Republicans, and you see, this is our problem. As we continue to fight the spending fight in the United States of America, as we continue to fight the culture war, as we continue to uh, secure our border or try to secure our border, and all of these very important things, you know, the Republicans cannot unify. They cannot. There are too many rhinos and too many deep staters and too many swamp dwellers who like things the way they are. And they support the Democrats, either openly or covertly. And we need to call them out. So I'm going to share this with you. Uh, these are some of the Republican lawmakers in the House that voted against amendments toward the end of last week before we got down to the zero hour that would have defunded progressive initiatives at several agencies. For example, here are 18 Republicans. I won't read you all of them. I'm just going to read you a couple of names you need to know. 18 Republicans voted against an amendment from Representative Chip Roy, which specified that none of the funds appropriated in the continuing resolution, no funds um, to the Department of Defense can be used to carry out an observance of Pride Month. In other words, no federal dollars that should be going to the Department of Defense should be used to carry out um, a month of grooming. This was a very important measure. Chip Roy put this forward. It was opposed by 18 Republicans, including Dave Joyce of Ohio. There are more. Like I said, there are 18, but I want to highlight the ones that are important to us. There was also an amendment put forth to prevent an allocation of funds to the Department of Agriculture's Equity Commission, an entity devoted to closing the racial wealth gap and addressing longstanding inequities in agriculture. That should be eliminated, but opposing that move were uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. None of those were from Ohio, but six Republicans opposed this. These are things that should be unanimous. If we want to stop the culture wars, if we want to stop the division, these are things that should be unanimous for Republicans. But let's move on. 35 Republicans voted against an amendment from Texas Representative Troy Nels to prohibit the fund, appropriation of funds to DHS, that's Homeland Security, uh, for civil rights and civil, civil liberties, which reviews complaints from the public about racial and ethnic discrimination, as well as examining programs at Customs and Border Protection to ensure they avoid racial profiling in conducting stops and searches and other law enforcement investigation or inspectional activities. In other words, if somebody comes in and, is in and appears to be a member of an ethnic minority group, which is the overwhelming number of people coming in across the southern border as it pertains to our, our, our border security, you can't stop them because it will appear as though it's racial and ethnic intimidation and discrimination. <laughs> Opposing that include, uh, um, let's see, 35 members of the House, including Dave Joyce. So Dave Joyce is two out of three on this. 
There, I mean, I could go on. There were 43 who opposed another amendment by Bob Good of Virginia, which would have cut in half a part, uh, funds to, uh, allocated to the Department of Agriculture's Office of Civil Rights. Um, that one includes Dave Joyce as well, so he's three for four. I'm checking Mike Turner down in southern Ohio also opposed that one. So it goes on and on. The point being, in all of this, we cannot trust our members of Congress, particularly you know all of them here in Ohio, we cannot trust them to do what is right for the people and for the country when they have special interests that they have to satisfy. And they're willing to sell out to the Democrats some of the most important issues, spending issues, cultural issues, homeland security issues. They're willing to sell them all out in exchange for, well, we don't know exactly what from their uh, Democrat colleagues. By the way, Tom Zawistowski did great work on this, too. On the WeThePeopleConvention.org website, he's got a list of the patriot congressmen who voted against the CR, the uh, the, the terrible CR, the, the ongoing greenlighting, if you will, of Biden spending policies. I just told you the nine in the Senate. Well, on the House side, there's 45, and as I noted, there are two uh, from the state of Ohio, Warren Davidson and Jim Jordan. So, And he's asking you to write a letter, uh, tap out an email to their offices of these individuals and thank them for fighting against um, the ongoing, um, uh, I don't know, destruction or the endangering of this country by way of our southern border. The one thing that I will say, because I'm trying to be thorough, and yes, I'll get to some of the histrionics that happened at the Capitol, including the pulling of a fire alarm in order to delay the vote by desperate Democrats. Um, I should point out that in the continuing resolution, there was no money, no money allocated to flush down the Ukrainian toilet. That's the one, if you're looking for one positive, if you're looking for maybe a hint of hope or something that could make us feel just a little bit better going forward that we might have some people fighting the good fight and fighting the right fight that's what you can you can say because they wanted to include 4.5 billion dollars um of ukraine funding in the cr and that was removed in order to get this thing passed so that's good news the bad news is when it comes to appropriations when it comes to the funding of the full budget that is probably going to be put back in there and it will be a sticking point and republicans probably will cave on moss because we don't have unity there either. You could tell that from the presidential debate stage, that there is not unity among the idea of whether we should fund Ukraine and view it as pushing back against Vladimir Putin trying to reestablish the Soviet bloc and sending a message to China, we won't uh, stand by and let you invade Taiwan either. You can view it that way, as some do, or you can view it the way I do it, which is America first. And yes, President Trump is credited with quoting that, he got it from from uh, Ronald Reagan, by the way. Um, but America first. We have to take care of us first before we take worry about taking care of anybody else, particularly since we've already tried to, quote-unquote, take care of it with $113 billion of your tax dollars, contributing to our $33 trillion national debt. All right, so those are just some of the numbers and some of the stuff that happened yesterday from um, uh, from a, uh, a, a, a an appropriations and a funding and a and a uh, uh, the CR the uh, the continuing resolution. Sorry, I was flicking on it again. Those are some of the numbers. 
there are more important things that happened yesterday that we should be talking about, such as when are Democrats going to hold themselves to the same standard they have for Republicans when it comes to the, quote, no one is above the law. Because if no one is above the law, then Jamal Bowman should be in a gulag right now in Washington, D.C., near or with January 6th defendants because he intentionally interrupted and interfered with an official government uh, proceeding. That's the language. That's the uh, decision that they made on the January 6th protesters. Now we have to talk about Jamal Bowman. We have a lot of local stories to talk about as well, and I welcome you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always Right Radio is right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 936, thanks for being with us. Should this guy be in prison or what? Should he be rotting in a gulag next to January 6th prisoners? I don't see why not. Is this not the exact same thing? Interfering with an official government proceeding. That's why hundreds and hundreds of January 6th protesters were treated like they had just, you know, tried to... Uh, you know, assassinate someone. They were treated as if, you know, the worst crime in the world was a protest that did indeed become a riot. And I will never defend those who rioted that day, broke windows, attacked police officers. I will never defend them, never have, never will. They should be held accountable by the letter of the law. But that means where the punishment fits the crime. As we know, however, there are people who are not individuals who smashed things, stole things, broke things, attacked things, attacked people. There were people who were just there, who were locked up. One guy, Enrique Tario, who was the leader of the Proud Boys, wasn't at the Capitol. In fact, he wasn't even in Washington, D.C. And yet he was sentenced to 22 years in prison for conspiracy. Are you kidding? He conspired to interrupt an official proceeding. This is unbelievable. Well, there are people who are uh, who did absolutely nothing and who did far, far less than what Representative Jamal Bowman from New York did. Republicans are calling for the correct thing here, the prosecution of Jamal Bowman and possibly even uh, uh, removing him from the United States Congress. And why not? All he did was commit a felony. He committed a felony. First of all, aside from interrupting the official proceeding, he pulled a fire alarm, which is a felony because it is uh, illegal to to pull a fire alarm when there is no fire and there is no danger because it endangers public safety. That's the reality of it. But he didn't. He did more than just pull a fire alarm as if it was a schoolboy prank. And by the way, this is a guy who used to be a high school principal, so he knows what fire alarms are. He knows the difference between a fire alarm and a and a uh, uh, a switch to open a door. So his his pleading of ignorance here is just so pathetic and so embarrassing. Quite frankly, quite frankly, his uh, staff member said that Congressman Bowman did not realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The congressman regrets any confusion. 
He then put out a statement, by the way, saying he was not in any way trying to delay the vote. The Democrats have been trying to delay that vote from the very beginning. They were trying to delay the vote, and Bowman was desperate to find a way to stop it from happening until they could look at it more closely, read it further, and then, of course, you know, take their, uh, uh, take their pen to it to try to amend it. That's what this was all about from the very beginning. AOC, otherwise known as ADC, Alexandria Damasio Cortez, tried to claim that he was just in a panic, you see. He was, he was in a panic to get there because, you know, the vote clock was ticking. And because he was panicking, he, he saw something that looked like he would open a door. It's red. It says fire alarm, or it says uh, pull to activate fire alarm. He knows what a fire alarm looks like, but listen to some of the idiocy that we have to deal with with these people. Uh, over the weekend, when your New York colleague, Congressman Jamal Bowman, he's under investigation for this now after Capitol Police say he pulled a fire alarm in one of the House office buildings. Democrats were trying to delay a vote, a final vote on the bill. Uh, there he is uh, pulling the fire alarm. He says it was an accident. He thought pulling the alarm would open a door. Uh, based on the fact that the doors to his right there were locked and there was a sign that he said he was, I think someone said it was confusing. I'll be honest, it doesn't really make sense to me, his explanation. Have you talked to him? What's going on? By the way, the signs that were supposedly so quote-unquote confusing said emergency exit only, emergency exit only. Then he pulled the fire alarm, but he was confused. Listen to ADC. I mean, listen, I think if you actually do see some of the photos of the signs, I think there's... there's We have. They're not confusing unless you are three. If you're three and can't read yet, I can see where they would be confusing. He's a grown man and a member of Congress. And unless he has the word Damasio in his name like you do, he shouldn't be so confused by something that says emergency exit and then a fire alarm that says pull to activate fire alarm. There's something to be said about the government's about to shut down. There's a vote clock that's going down. The exits that are normally open in that building were suddenly closed. He so pulled the fire alarm? So I'm, I'm, what I am here to say is that House administration and U.S. Capitol Police and Jamal Bowman are inactive, and he's fully participating in saying there was a misunderstanding. But what I do think is important. That's it. I think that's I think, that's that's your that's your answer. He's fully participating in saying there was a misunderstanding. You don't say things like that. You say he's fully participating in the investigation process, and he is certainly regretful of his decision at that time. He's 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 full, you know there was a shutdown. You see, and 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 with when there was a shutdown, you know, in a, in a panic, he didn't realize how to get out of the building. He didn't realize how to get out of the building. That's what they're going with. I think there's there's something to be said about the government's about to shut down. There's a vote clock that's going down. So what? So what? Exits that are normally open in that building were suddenly closed. He so you pulled a fire alarm. So I'm, I'm. What I am here to say is that that you're an idiot. You are a walking, talking, overflowing toilet of stupidity. That's what you are here to say. And so is Jamal Bowman. House administration and U.S. Capitol Police and Jamal Bowman are inactive, and he's fully participating in saying there was a misunderstanding. So that's what they're going to go with. 
Bowman issued a statement. Quote, I want to personally clear up confusion surrounding today's events. Let's see if this clears it up. Today I was rushing to make a vote. Rushing. Where the hell were you? Why were you not in the chamber to make the vote if it was time to have the vote in the first place? I was rushing to make a vote. I came to a door that is usually open for votes, but today would not open. I'm embarrassed to admit that I activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. Again, have you ever mistaken a fire alarm from a doorknob, a door handle? Even one of those, um, you know, the handicap things, the wheelchair things, like the big silver, you know, circle on the side of the wall that automatically opens the door in case you're, you know, going through with a wheelchair or something. You see those. Does that look like a fire alarm? Even that. I regret this and sincerely apologize for any confusion this caused, but I want to be very clear. This was not me in any way trying to delay any vote. No, of course not. Not at all. You claim you were late and rushing to get there to, 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 uh, to cast your vote. Meanwhile, your entire party had been trying to delay the vote the entire day. You didn't do that at all to try to maybe force the evacuation of the building, an evacuation of the complex, and a suspension of the vote for the time being. I was urgently trying to get a vote which I, to a vote, which I ultimately did, and joined my colleagues in a bipartisan effort to keep our government open. I was all, also met after the vote with the sergeant-at-arms and the Capitol Police at their request and explained that what had happened. My hope is that no one will make more of this than what it was. I'm working hard every day, including today, to do my job, to do it well, and deliver for my constituents. Well, I'm glad that he had a meeting with the sergeant-at-arms, and I'm glad he had a meeting with the Capitol Police. What I want to know is why was he not taken into custody by sergeant-at-arms and Capitol Police? Because that is exactly what they did to the January 6th protesters. They accused them of obstructing or interfering with an official proceeding, that being the certification of the electoral votes. Well, here it was an official proceeding. It was a vote on a, on a continuing resolution to continue to fund the government. He tried to delay the entire thing on behalf of his party that, of course, was opposed to any continuing resolution that wasn't going to include Ukraine funding. He tried to stop it from happening. How and why is he not? And by the way, according to a report from Breitbart, you know those signs that ADC was talking about that might have been very confusing? According to Breitbart, Bowman tore down two signs warning that a door in the second floor of the Cannon House office building was for emergency use only. Let me say that again. The signs that said emergency exit only, he was confused by He tore them down, then proceeded to pull the fire alarm. But it was just a moment of confusion as I was working really hard to do my patriotic duty and get to the get to the chamber, the the capital, so I could cast my vote. That's all it was: is me just being like super patriotic, you know? I mean, I almost had a cape on. I would do anything to make sure I got there to cast my vote in time. Anything except be on time. He pulled the fire alarm, leading to a full-scale law enforcement and emergency services response, which, re- which resulted in the evacuation of the building. Multiple sources familiar with the ongoing investigation have provided Breitbart News with photographs of the scene. These photos, the ones I'm looking at now, and I'll read them to you, show the emergency exit door 
had two large red signs that read, Emergency Exit Only, Push Until Alarm Sounds, 3 Seconds, Door Will Unlock in 30 Seconds. Another sign on a stand in front of the door also indicated it was for emergency exits only. So, in other words, an alarm is going to go off if you try to go out those doors. He didn't even bother with that. He just intentionally pulled the fire alarm. So what I want to know is when does he get arrested? When does he get arrested and should Congresswoman uh, uh, Maliotakis, who is uh, apparently going to move to uh, remove him from Congress, she's going to make a motion. It's probably not going to go anywhere because you need two-thirds, and Democrats are not going to do this to their own. Remember, he's just a patriot who is trying to cast an important vote. But... um, but uh, Mal- Nicole Maliotakis is going to make a motion to remove him from Congress, which I think is probably the least that should happen to him. I mean, I think that should be a given. That should be the obvious. After that, he needs to be do- be serving time in a cell. And he needs to be uh, handled in the, in the exact same way that the January 6th protest. Because remember, as I said before, Enrique Tarrio, the leader of the Proud Boys, the quote-unquote white supremacist group led by a Hispanic <laughs> Uh, yeah, since the 22 years, he wasn't even, not only did he not participate in anything, he wasn't even on the Capitol grounds. Not only was he not even on the Capitol grounds, he wasn't in the district. He wasn't in Washington, D.C. that day. He got 22 years in prison for conspiring to interfere with an official government proceeding. Well, then what about when you literally intentionally interfere with an official government proceeding, such as a congressional vote on funding the government? So Maliotaka said she is moving to expel Bowman. This is the United States Congress, not a New York City high school. This action warrants expulsion, and I am introducing a resolution to do just that. By the way, it should be pointed out, since I mentioned it a moment ago, it should be pointed out that J- Jamal Bowman is a former high school principal. And one of the penalties at his high school, and in all high schools, one of the potential penalties for pulling a fire alarm and creating a panic like that is expulsion from the school. How can he get anything less than expelled from the <clears throat> the um, United States Congress? All right, we'll take a time out there. Uh, that's all I want to say about the uh, battle on Capitol Hill over the weekend. Or, yeah, over the weekend. Uh, we have a lot of other things to get into, including the Civilian Police Commission in the city of Cleveland that we told you would be a disaster is living up to its name. I've got a story there for you you're going to want to hear. And we've also got a story about more high school football feelings being hurt. This one involved the Holy War. We'll talk about that story as well. Stay here and join us at 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. Okay, 953. I want to bring Seth in on this because Seth is a proud graduate of uh, Iggy's, otherwise known as St. Ignatius. Another holy war turned into another not very competitive football game on Saturday, but it's not the outcome. Seth, how you, how you dealing, by the way, with the fact that you guys have now lost seven in a row to, to the boys in Lakewood? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. Yeah, yeah. not even competitive. No. 42 to 7. 
Uh, was uh, I think they played twice last year. Both of those were routes as well. I think because they played them in the playoffs, and uh, yeah, it's just not good. You don't really have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rehashing the other night is fine. The reason I bring it up though is because clearly St. Ignatius is trying to generate some, uh, I don't know, some momentum to to remind their football players um, of what they used to be and how you know how they're supposed to treat this rivalry with Eds. I mean, they've just been basically tucking their tails and accepting a whooping every single year now. And I cannot believe this became a story. I cannot believe this was actually on television news. But it was. And I don't understand why. This is, of course, in the wake of the... uh, uh, not even on the wake of, because it's still kind of going on, but the controversy involving the Brooklyn Beachwood story about hurt feelings because of a, a, an offensive line term that was probably not the smartest thing to do, but certainly not something worthy of cancel culture and losing a job over, and I'll stand by that statement. But um, this this hypersensitivity to what others say when it comes to football, this is, this is getting out of hand. Here's the story from Channel 19, cleveland19.com. A St. Ignatius freshman football coach has come under fire after inappropriate comments about St. Edward High School caused concern with the team. In a letter addressed to the parents and players on the freshman team, athletic director Rory Fitzpatrick says the coach has been counseled and taken steps to apologize to those impacted by his words. Sources tell 19 News the comments were made by the coach to, in a text thread with the captains of his freshman football team. Messages to the captains include the coach saying, quote, If they were tough enough to be Ignatius men, they'd be there with us. End quote. And, quote, I'm certain half of them wouldn't even get in at our place. End quote. Another said, quote, I can't wait to greet them after our game to tell them they don't deserve to be with us, end quote. Sources say the coach, who graduated from St. Edward, was not present at the Thursday night freshman game between Eds and Ignatius. The statement from the school comes before the two schools' varsity football game face-off Saturday night. Fitzpatrick concluded that all the football staff would be provided additional training to ensure incidents of this nature do not happen in the future. Seth, what the hell is going on? I, uh, I, what the? What is that? I saw the headline that, the, of course, the media puts out there, and I was like, oh, my God, what, what did the Ignatius do now? And then I read what he actually said, and I was taken back by the society that we've become because that was ridiculous. What he said was nothing. Trying to change a culture at a school or any kind of football team is a good thing. When you've been losing like you've been losing, you have to change the culture. And... I think the culture of the school has changed far worse. Well, there, there's two things here. One is the fact that this was considered to be what trash talk above, uh, you know, beyond, you know, uh, or, or below the belt. Is it, you know, is it? It's considered to be something that's so egregious. Uh, if they were tough enough to be Ignatius men, they'd be here with us. They probably couldn't even get in in our place. They're trying to make their kids. Proud that they're Ignatius men and that these other guys can't be Ignatius men. They're not as good as you are. We're better than they are. They don't deserve to be here with us. How is that in any way, shape, or form considered to be, um, you know, uh, uh, beyond beyond reproach? Well, no, that's not the right word. What, what am I trying to say when I say below the belt or whatever? That's considered to be so far 
so so uh, such a blasphemous term that it deserves first of all a television story. <laughs> then second of all, Seth, though, here's the worst part about it to me. If this was a private text between the head coach and his captains, somebody said something. Somebody on the football team was so outraged that they reported this to somebody. An Ed's, I mean, an Ignatius player ratted out his own coach, nice. ratted out his own program, nice. um, and, and, and said, the coach, something inappropriate about the guys over there that we're going to be playing against, that they, they're, not, they're not man enough to be with us. I mean, what am I? What the hell are they that's, raising over that's there? How, that's how you lose seven in a row, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's honestly, that. yeah. I mean, if if you, know, I mean, God, God I, I'm telling you, Bob. Right now, we had when I was there back in uh, mid '90s, '94, when I graduated, we had yeah. one national championship teams, and two, we had guys that would literally bite the side of a Gatorade bottle and rip the plastic off with their mouths as they're looking at the other team. Because they had meanness, they had toughness, and now I think it's all kids. But now at that school, yeah, it's gone. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but it's not even just the toughness; it's the hypersensitivity to the point where, first of all, somebody on that team reported this to somebody who got it to the media, and then the media, Channel Nineteen. I'm sorry. I mean, love you guys, but. What the hell? Why did you put this on television? Oh, there was an inappropriate comment made by a freshman coach about another freshman team, and uh, it's got some people upset. How did that make news? We are dying as a society. We are dying. If this and if this is what the you know future leaders you know the next generation at the all boys schools in uh, in Cleveland and Lakewood if this is what they're turning out if this is what they're cranking out people who are crying about things like that we're done we're just done all right we'll take a time out of here i still have more time for you at 2169010945 our first guess is at 10:35 you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two now underway at seven minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being here on Always Right Radio. It's a Monday, the second morning of the tenth month, year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk with the author of Binary, Zachary Elliott. It's more than just a book. There's an entire um, catalog of uh, videos that I'll tell you about when we have Zachary on to talk about uh, all of the information, the scientific scientific study that has been done on the issue of whether or not uh, gender and sex are binary or if they are a spectrum. It's really a fascinating conversation we're going to have. So that's coming up at 1035. But for now, I want to talk about policing. I want to talk about Cleveland before I start talking about President Trump. Uh, And President Trump is just making things so hard for all of us. So very, very hard. (sighs) Out of control doesn't even begin to describe some of the things that he is saying. It's not helping us, particularly as we try to support police officers. It's just it's just rambling and radical. Wait until you hear this part, but let me get to the local part of this first. 
You know the Citizen Police Commission, right? The Cleveland Police Commission that, that is created of a bunch of citizens who were appointed by the mayor and people, members of council and so forth. And they're going to be the ones who, um, who are providing oversight of the police department. They're the ones, and they're made up almost exclusively of cop haters. They're the ones who are going to be judging whether or not police officers use excessive force, whether or not they use good judgment or bad judgment, whether or not they worked to de-escalate a situation or escalate a situation. They were the ones who were going to control cops' lives. That's one of the reasons why Cleveland Police, now 424 officers under budget. Under budget. Let me rephrase. I didn't phrase. I didn't say that correctly. There's 424. They're down 424 than the budgeted amount. How about that? The budget calls for 424 more cops that they don't have because cops are fleeing Cleveland. They don't want to be a part of this nonsense. But now we have an example of what we're talking about. Last month at Lincoln Park in Tremont, police video shows cops. Um, kind of cornering a domestic violence suspect at a uh, gazebo in the park. He went into a rage, and the police officers there were trying to do their jobs to take him into custody safely and without interference and without anybody causing problems, but they couldn't do that without anybody causing problems because somebody was there to cause a problem. A civilian member of the Cleveland Police Commission This member of the Cleveland Police Commission named Terry Wang decided she would show up there and tell the cops how to do their jobs in the middle of a crisis situation. Fox 8 did a very nice comprehensive report on this. I'm going to let you listen to it, then we'll talk about it. I'm not playing. I'm not going nowhere. Just take me out. Cleveland police watch a dangerous suspect and a citizen with the Cleveland police officers. Man, listen. Listen, we're not here to hurt you. Go back to jail, bro. I'm doing too many jails. All right, I, I, I got to stop doing this. I love Fox 8, and I love the folks there. They do great work. They really, really do, but they really have to up their bandwidth. This is the only website I play audio and video off of that continues to buffer and cause problems along the way. So I do apologize for that. I'll try to play the rest of this for you. Maybe I'll even start it over. If it doesn't work, I'll just tell you the way it went down. But uh, this is this is very good uh, reporting, and I really appreciate and respect Fox 8 for that. But we gotta we got we to gotta ramp up the... Uh, uh, the uh, buffering capabilities. I'm not playing. I'm not going nowhere. Just take me out now. Cleveland police watch a dangerous suspect and a citizen with the Cleveland Police Commission. Man, listen. Listen, we're not here to hurt you. Go back to jail, bro. I'm doing too many jails. Terry Wang. Okay, it's 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 this bad. It's this bad video. They got up that. So here, I'll, I'll read this for you. Terry Wang shows up as the police are trying to talk to this man who is very much raging, and he's screaming, "He's not going anywhere. You're not taking me because I've been to too many jails." He's a very dangerous suspect. Okay, they're trying to talk to him. Here comes Terry Wang, turning on her phone to record the police officers trying to do their jobs. I'm a Cleveland police commissioner, and I just want to make sure this man is okay. She's there to advocate for the domestic violence suspect who's who's threatening that he's not going to be taken. I ain't going nowhere, y'all. I'm not playing. I'm not going nowhere. Just take me on out. 
She's there to tell the cops how to do their jobs. She has no idea how how dangerous of a situation she's walking into it is and how much more dangerous she just made it for the cops. I'm a Cleveland police commissioner, she said on the video, and I just want to make sure this man is okay. An officer walked over and said, back up just a little bit, please. Back up. Another officer says, just trying to de-escalate this guy a little bit. And police commissioner Wang says, I think that surrounding him with 10 officers is not really the best way. Like we tried to explain earlier, you're trying to intervene, you're breaking our, this, I'm sorry, the officer responded to her, we tried to explain earlier, you're trying to intervene, you're breaking our focus off of a violent offender. She then referred to the number of officers on the scene again saying, well, there's just one guy that's irate. What I'm asking is if you can step back, the officer said, by all means continue recording. Wang sits on the Cleveland Police Commission, the new group set up to oversee police by reading and reviewing, uh, meeting and reviewing cases. But here, she let officers know that she what she thought of their work, even as the scene unfolded. Fortunately, the cops are good at their job. They were able to take him down and arrest him without incident. A police supervisor took what happened to the chief's office into City Hall. Captain wrote in a memo that the Citizen Commissioner distracted officers with unnecessary questioning. And she did, while they're trying to do their job. She's going to get somebody killed? And she doesn't care. All she cares about is the gosh darn criminals. Don't you be too harsh with that criminal. Don't you think that having too many men uh, around him is escalating the situation? What do you want them to do? Go one-on-one? And just hope that one officer is two-on-one, is three-on-one too many if they try to take him down without an absolute fistfight and a scramble and a, and a battle for control of an officer's weapon? How many is okay with you? With all of your policing experience, Terry, how many officers do you think we ought to be using here? The mayor's office won't speak on it. This is a pending matter. We don't have a comment at this time, they said. Fox 8 tried to reach Terry Wang, seeking comment. No uh, no response. Jeff Fulmer, the union president who doesn't do much, they ought to have Loomis back in that spot, argued the commission members do not get any special privileges at crime scenes. The union has concerns over this conduct. Everyone needs to be held accountable for their actions, he said. That's strong. In fact, the captain's memo also argued that members of the police commission do not get any special privileges at crime scenes. These days, police find themselves under closer watch and more review than ever before here, before they even finished handling the call. So this is just an example of the impossibly bad management of the city of Cleveland. I mean... The number I gave you at the top of this, 424 officers, that's how many officers they have right now under budget. They're missing. They are short. They're understaffed by over 400 officers that they have budget for. So it's not like they had to slash the police department because there's no more money. These are budgeted positions that they aren't filling, and they can't fill. Why? Because they are running from Cleveland Police Depart- the Cleveland Police Department. Officers are going to work in suburbs. They're going to other cities. They're resigning from police work altogether. And this is the reason why. Because the idiots in charge in City Hall, in the city of Cleveland, from the mayor's office through the council, because they saw fit 
because of a few complaints about the way cops do their jobs, they saw fit to put a civilian review board in, uh, in charge of them. They already had the consent decree from back in the Obama era that they have to deal with, which is similar now they have the civilian review board, and they're not even reviewing. Reviewing means to go back and look at something after the fact. They're involving themselves as it's going on. Sooner or later, one of these idiots is going to end up getting killed or hurt, in the, or a cop is going to get killed or hurt trying to defend and protect that idiot who shows up on site. It's impossible to ask police to do their jobs under those circumstances. They always try to de-escalate. None of them wants to have to pull a weapon and shoot somebody. None of them wants to have to get into a physical altercation where they end up having to fight to, to, to take somebody down using physical force. They always try to de-escalate. They don't need Terry or anybody else from the police, civilian police commission coming out there and telling them how to do the job. They always try to de-escalate. Police officers don't want to shoot people. Now, that's, that's story number one, or part A of, of this story. Here's part B. The former president of the United States, who is almost certainly going to be our nominee to be the president of the United States again, is making things even harder for police. President Trump, whom I will support for president if he's our nominee, passionately, because the alternative is so devastating, is going to make it very, very hard for us to stop the Democrats from winning the White House again. He's going to make it, He's making it very, very hard. He was speaking in California late last week. I just found these yesterday. And as he was speaking in California, he basically gave the green light for cops to shoot shoplifters and looters. Um, not basically, he did. And when they're there, they'll knock the hell out of you and kill you in some cases. And we will immediately stop all of the pillaging and theft. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. I don't know what's more mind-blowing that the former president said we should shoot people who rob stores as they're leaving. (laughs) At a time when police are already being falsely accused of shooting people who are unarmed for no good reason. Lethal force, by the way, is supposed to be used only when um, the lives and safety of either officers or civilians are being threatened. Looters are awful awful people who should do a lot of prison time. But unless they're physically harming or threatening to harm someone, you cannot shoot them as they walk out of the store. Suggesting that cops will be authorized or instructed to do those things if President Trump becomes president again is so dangerously stupid I can't put it into words. How does that help you get elected? What's worse, those words or the fact that the, 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 the crowd cheered that enthusiastically? 
Yes, let's authorize cops to shoot people as they exit stores if they've robbed the stores. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. I would submit to you that if President Trump told one police officer, look at that robber, the armfuls of stuff that they're stealing right now, shoot, shoot them. I told everybody that's what we would do. There is not a police officer wearing a badge in the United States today that would do so. None. Because they have more sense than that. This is, this is beyond, this is beyond nonsensible. This is, this is irrational. This is, this is stupid. When the police are allowed to do their job, and that means in some cases, shoot them. This will stop immediately, immediately. Our poli- that is not the job that police have to do. They don't shoot shoplifters. That is not letting the police do their jobs. Letting the police do their jobs is arresting shoplifters. If it becomes a situation in which they or others are put in danger because the shoplifters are armed and won't drop their weapon, that would be doing their jobs, sure. Sure. We always talk about these things, and we always support police officers. Again, when suspects are armed or if they're attacking cops and trying to arm themselves by taking the officer's guns, all of those kinds of things when they reach for it the way Michael Brown did, cops absolutely have to be able to defend themselves and others when violence is happening. Sure. Cops don't shoot people for walking out of the store with stuff they didn't buy. They're not authorized to do so by any police department, by any state law or or local law that I'm aware of. But the president says this is the only way to stop shoplifting and stealing is to shoot them after they steal i'm what this is and we will immediately stop all of the pillaging and theft very simply if you rob a store you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store shot thing when the police are allowed to do their job, and that means, in some cases, shoot them, this will stop immediately, immediately. Our police are amazing. And if- Our police are amazing. One of the things that make them amazing is they don't shoot people for stealing stuff. They shoot people only if they have to shoot people. They use lethal force only when lethal force is called for. In no police or law enforcement agency that I'm aware of is shooting people as they're exiting a store they have just stolen stuff from. Is that doing their job? This is very, very dangerous. And I say this out of concern for police, but I also say this out of concern for us being able to win a general election. How do you think middle America is going to vote on that? How do you think they're going to receive that? How do you think the centrist voters, the moderate voters, 
how do you think reasonable people are going to feel when they say that the Republican nominee says that cops should shoot people as they leave stores if they've stolen stuff? The Democrat nominee does not. We have to vote for the winner of the Republican primary. I will vote for the winner of the Republican primary. Whether it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or even blowhard Chris Christie, I will vote against the Democrat. But we will not win. We will not win if this is what is offered by the Republican nominee. That's just that's just simple to understand. It's ten twenty five, always right radio name fourteen twenty the answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1035. Thanks for being with us this morning on AM 1420. The answer will come back to the police stories in just a bit. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about there. Between the situation that happened in um, Tremont that we told you about with the uh, civilian review boards getting involved um, in, uh, in actual police arrests as they take place to what President Trump said. We'll talk about all of that coming up in just a bit. But I'm going to welcome our guest to the program now. Excuse me. <clears throat> Zach Elliott is an author. Uh, and he is a producer of animated videos and articles and books on sex and gender. He's the founder of P- uh, Paradox, in- uh, Paradox Institute, which is a parenting research and commentary company on sex and gender in these animated videos, articles, and books. There's a website, which I've watched several of the videos already, called theparadoxinstitute.com, theparadoxinstitute.com. And the author of Binary, Zach Elliott, joins us now on AM 1420. The Answer. Zach, good morning. How are you? Hey, Bob. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. You know, we've been um, fighting this culture war, which is, you know, I guess as simple of a way to say it as anything else, this ongoing um, transing of America through social contagion, which is mm-hmm. what I truly believe is going on here, because you know more than anybody, or as well as anybody, because of all of the work that you guys have done, you and your team studying the science of gen- the uh, mm-hmm. you know, of gender and of uh, uh, and of sex. Um, and the subtitle of your book, Binary, is debunking the sex spectrum myth. So uh-huh. let's let's start right there because I think this is this is exactly where the problem lies. This belief or yeah. this intent to convince people, even if they don't believe in it, but there is a there's an agenda here to convince people that mm-hmm. sex is not binary, that there is a spectrum and a range of different things that people can be when it comes to their sex and their gender. So yeah. tell me what is the sex spectrum myth that you are intending to debunk? So the sex spectrum is the idea that male and female exist on a continuum and that they are completely socially constructed so we can't reliably define them and then also that somebody's sense of self their internal sense of self should define what sex is and this has actually been pushed by biomedical scientists by science magazines and it's surprising because it's it completely denies what the primary biology literature says about what sexes are and how they're universally defined across well, across species and within humans. And this idea is really popular because 
it makes it seem like that we can just identify as we please, and it seems to kind of speak to the, the natural diversity that we do see across species and within humans, but it, it completely lands in the wrong conclusion. So I can go into a little bit more detail about how the sexes are defined, but that's basically what the sex spectrum myth is. I do want you to go into more detail, but before we do that, too, and I probably should have asked this first, too, you are the founder and you're the editor-in-chief of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, the Paradox Institute, and you're an author. What's your background, though? Do you have a degree in science, or is this something you needed to have, or can you just uh, research mm-hmm. this stuff on your own? So my formal education will surprise people. It's actually in architecture, but during architecture school, I wound up doing many years of research and writing on sex differences and now i've been doing this research and writing for seven years and i've collaborated with phd biologists and i've also informally trained in reading and evaluating scientific literature so part of my job is also compiling and citing scientific literature for our content that's directly backed up by evidence-based sources and it you don't need a formal degree to do writing and research in a field, but it just takes a lot of time with reading. You have to spend time and sit down, read literature, talk to actual PhD level biologists in the field and get acquainted with the terminology and the fundamentals. And that just takes a lot of years. And writing has helped me tremendously by taking that peer-reviewed research and then compiling it and talking about it and learning it so that I can actually teach it to the public. So I agree with you 100%. You do not need to have that formal degree in order to be, you know, to mm-hmm. become an expert and be proficient at discussing these things. If you are willing to study, you don't have to spend $150,000 studying. You can do it on your own. So good for you. Uh, I, I support that. But having said that, um, I, I just have to ask why? Why did, how does an architecture student uh, you know, f- suddenly become so fascinated that he literally spends years of his life reading and studying you know, things such as human biology and human sexuality and chromosomal science and so forth? Well, I've always been interested in uh, biology. I took an a AP biology course in high school and, and then got really interested in, in college, specifically about sex differences because of the uh, social, political issues surrounding sex differences. And this I was fascinated with this denial of male and female and the denial of our differences that we see and, and this denial that they're important at all. And I also saw this uh, so many people being canceled or thrown off of jobs because they dared to speak out about important differences between males and females and, and why they matter in terms of like understanding how to actually get more women in certain fields or get more men in certain fields. and. And what do you think is driving? What do you so. think is driving that, Zach? What do you think is driving this uh, intent to erase the differences between between males and females? Well, there's there's multiple things. You can look back into the 80s and 90s with so-called queer theory, which is an academic theory which <clears throat> seeks to subvert and dismantle every norm in society. And male and female is they're one of those important norms. And I think power is one thing people want power over others, and they want to uh, deconstruct these important foundational aspects of our biology and about who we are to uh, gain power over people. There's also a push to medicalize people and, and provide them with cross-sex hormones and, and all this money you know, at, this, at the core of trying to change people's bodies to this, this image that they think that they can reach. 
which is actually unreachable. And so there's a lot of aspects of that going on as well. We're talking with uh, Zach Elliott. He is the author of a book called Binary, Debunking the Sex Spectrum Myth, and he's also uh, the head of um, the Paradox Institute. <clears throat> you have a ton of videos, and um, mm-hmm. they're, they're very informative. I've watched a few of them. Uh, some of them are lengthy, and some of them are a little complex. I think you do a great job of you and your team of trying to, to break them down to make them understandable to somebody who didn't spend mm-hmm. the last seven years studying science in the way that you have, um, which is good. So I'm going to ask you more general questions than the specifics <clears throat> um, contained in the videos and in the research research you have done. But let me just start with, how do you respond to a person who, like Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, who literally says, no, you don't understand. For years and years and years, I've known in my head that I am a female. My body doesn't match, mm-hmm. but I'm a female. And finally, you know, public figure, you know, the TV, first the Olympics, of course, and then the, you know, the Kardashian whole thing, and then the revelation that I've been dressing in women's clothes privately for years. I really have mm-hmm. been born in the wrong body. So that happens. Do you, is it your position, Zach, that there is no such thing as somebody being born in the wrong body? How do you respond to a person like Caitlyn Jenner? Correct. So there, there is no actual science to back up the claim that someone can be born in the wrong body. That's positing a metaphysical idea and it's unfalsifiable. So the actual research in terms of the brain shows that, yes, there are sex differences on average between males and females in the brain, but you can't have a brain that mismatches your body. Your brain is a part of your body, and it's integrated into your entire nervous system. And so what people will sometimes claim is that, oh, my hormone profile in the womb, I was exposed to unusual hormones that then changed my brain and made it, gave me this condition. Well, there's been many studies on that, and they've shown that after you control for sexual orientation, being heterosexual or homosexual, those differences in the brains of people who identify as trans, those differences go away. So the actual only differences that are, that act, that are maintained across both uh, homosexual trans individuals and heterosexual trans individuals are regions in the brain involved in self-perception. So they've, they've found that there's weakened connections in those regions where these people who identify as trans don't see themselves accurately as they actually are. And so that's a neurological indicator of something going on. Now, are they going with it? It's unclear. Uh, it's, can it be something that is learned? Absolutely. So it just, it just depends. We don't know what the exact cause is, but we do know that giving somebody cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers and telling them that they actually are the opposite sex is not going to help their psychological condition. It's going to make it worse because they are moving further and further away from reality, and they, can, they can't actually change their biology into the opposite sex. One of the videos uh, on the Paradox Institute website, which I strongly encourage people to look at and share and watch as much as you can, and there's a ton, but you have uh, a video called Sex versus Gender. Again, dumb it down for us non-scientists, and, and ex- you know, I, I think most of us try to explain this in our own way, that there is a difference between sex and gender, uh, uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the reality is there are still only males and females. So how do you address sex right. versus gender? So sex is basically defined by the difference in gamete size or your sex cells, so eggs or sperm. So if you develop anatomy that's organized around sperm, you're male. If you develop anatomy organized around eggs, you're female. And that applies across plants, it applies across all these animal species, and, of course, humans. 
when it comes to gender, it's you can it can be thought of as more of the social and behavioral aspects within sex. So differences that exist between males and females on behavior, on the social level, in terms of how you express yourself. But ultimately, gender is tied back to sex. So they're not exactly the same, but they are uh, linked in an important way. So what the activists try to do is detach those two completely so that they can then say, well, my sex is male, but my gender is actually a woman. But that is not how it works at all. Gender is just the behavioral or social differences within males and females that exist in, in society. And those can be caused by biology. They can be caused by socialization or a mix of the two. And so that's the fundamental difference. Is it, is it oversimplification for me to say gender is simply personality? No, I think that's a huge aspect of it. I don't think that's an oversimplification. Because you talked about social behavior right. and you know, you know, and and, and so forth. In, uh, when it comes to gender, it's it's your it's your behavior, it's your it's your uh, expressions, and so on and so forth. And I just feel like that just means personality, and that doesn't mean that there aren't males with more feminine right. st- uh, type personalities, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean there aren't females with more male, masculine uh, uh, personalities. And sometimes right. yeah. those things. And this is where I want you to kind of go with this is sometimes they seem to manifest themselves in homosexuality. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to not be use anything as a pejorative when I talk about these things. But, um, you know, a female who is more gruff, who likes to wear her mm-hmm. hair really, really short and, and, and who likes more physical, demanding types of things, whether it be for fun or for work or for whatever. Uh, and they also happen to be lesbian. Is there connection mm-hmm. between the you know homosexuality uh, and and this this personality or this gender aspect that you're talking about? Yeah. So a big portion of what I studied was actually average sex differences in personality and and how they how it forms, you know, a bell curve where you have a distribution and you have a female average and a male average, and you can see all this variation. And with people who are homosexual, yes, oftentimes, uh, for example, a female who's a lesbian, their personality is often more masculine. Not always, but on yeah. average, that those are some of the things that you can see. And likewise, with a, a male who happens to be feminine, he might not be homosexual. He could just be feminine and, and straight, but oftentimes you'll see more feminine men who are uh, homosexual. So... Yeah, it's just an average difference there that you'll see. It's a variation. And it doesn't mean that you're not male or female. It just means that you have, you know, traits that might be atypical for males and females. But you're still defined by that difference in, in gamete size as male or female, you know, depending on what uh, gamete you provide in reproduction, basically. What, what, we're talking to Zach Elliott. Zach Elliott uh, is the author of a book called Binary um, that I'm very much looking forward to reading myself. Right now, I only have some information to skim from, uh, but I but I love what I've gathered off of the website, which is theparadoxinstitute.com. One more question on homosexuality, um, and before we get back to the 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 trans issue and the changing of sexes and the male sex, mm-hmm. or excuse me, the male male body and the female mind, etc. Where do you come down on the age-old question of born that way when it comes to homosexuality? Mm-hmm. So I think somewhat there's good evidence to show that uh, sexual orientation is affected by prenatal hormone levels. So there's been a meta-analysis or a large review of multiple studies showing that there's a big correlation between the amount of testosterone that a fetus, regardless of whether they're male or female, receives in the womb and how that impacts the sexual orientation. So, for example, 
a uh, female fetus who is exposed to higher level of testosterone than what's typical, there are more chances that she will grow up to be homosexual than heterosexual. Now, of course, it's not directly causal. We're not sure if it's directly causal, but there is that strong correlation. So that's one aspect. Uh, there's also the aspect of, I think, your upbringing can impact it to a degree. And, of course, it can, you know, just like any behavior, that can be impacted by um, society as well. But uh, when it comes to sexual orientation, there's definitely a big component, I think, of, of biology and, and hormone exposure. So I mentioned social contagion when I introduced you because I think that is what is driving this trans agenda. It is certainly not a mm-hmm. massive, massive spike in people who are afflicted with uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, I think the numbers have been, you know, less than one-tenth of one percent of the general population is actually gender dysphoric, where they have a psychological condition that doesn't allow them mm-hmm. to reconcile their, 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 their mind with their body. And suddenly now it's, you know, 20 percent of Gen Z is transing. So there's a social contagion on that. Yeah. Is there also a social contagion for homosexuality? Is there is there a part of the LGBTQ massive, you know, alphabet there that says mm-hmm. people, in order to get some, some cred and some clout in 2023 America, particularly in Gen Z, I've got to be something different than a straight white mm-hmm. person, for example. I've got to find a way to be something else in order to be accepted and to be popular and to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to fit in. So is there a social contagion to just join one of those letters, even if it's just gay or, uh, you know? Oh, yeah, lesbian? I think it's, I think that's part of it. We know that, well, first of all, we know that homosexuality and gender dysphoria, they, they're, they are very different fundamentally, and they, uh, one is more fixed for sure when it comes to like sexual orientation than, than gender dysphoria. But there is the element of identifying with those labels and identifying with homosexuality or being, being gay or being bi uh, or being any of these additional orientations that they like to add, like, like pansexual, things like that. And that is a huge aspect of it. And um, same thing with gender dysphoria. I think many people are identifying that way because they, they feel like they don't fit in they feel like that they want to identify with something that's bigger than themselves. And they feel like that this gives them this special marker, this special identity. And that applies across the board, across the LGBTQ uh, you know, alphabet. <laughs> and I, I do want to say that when it comes to LGB specifically, it is important to recognize that while people who are LGB almost always, they don't see themselves as identifying that way. It's just their behavior in terms of their sexual behavior. But when it comes to uh, T, trans, you know, that is by and large just self-identification. You know, I, I'm, I'm a male, but I just identify as, as a woman. And there's, it might not be attached to behavior at all. Just complete, complete self-identification with no objective markers. So... I've heard a lot of people say that there's a problem with calling the LGBTQ XYZ community a community because they're not. They're not all together. They're not yeah. a community. They're a bunch of separate communities. In other words, the LGs and Bs, largely, there's a group called Gays Against Groomers that don't want uh, mm-hmm. trans people trying to groom young young kids into changing their genders or changing their mm-hmm. sex and undergoing the cross-sex hormones and the whole nine yards. They don't want anything to do with the T. Are you starting to see more of that? And is that... Uh, is that the way we eventually start to try to come back to normalcy here? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that in the past few years. It's just exploded with so many 
people who are lesbians, who are gay or bisexual, regardless of political affiliation, just uh, coming out in huge support for the idea that sex is real and binary and that gender identity is just a construct and a dangerous construct, you know, telling kids that they're actually born in the wrong body. And it's, it's good to see that there's people all political affiliations doing this. And when I came into this, I, I didn't know that there was so many different aspects to the left side of the political spectrum where they are actually, a lot of them are pushing back against this as well. So it's good to see a lot of groups across the board doing that. So I'm going to throw a layup to you here. <clears throat> this is an easy one, uh, I think, for you, but I want people to hear it. Um, some who are part of the trans movement and, uh, you know, the spectrum, the sex spectrum, say that, well, if there was a binary and it was only male or only female, then how would there be intersex people? You have people who have both sets of genitalia. Clearly, uh, there's not just a binary. A binary, there is room for third options. How do you explain that? So intersex, it's important to say, it's a, it's a misnomer term that they use to describe a bunch of different unique uh, disorders that impact a person's sex development. And so that could impact the chromosomes to the sex chromosomes they have. So you might see a person who has, instead of XX or XY, like you normally see, you might see a person with XXY or a person with just X. Well, these people still develop a reproductive anatomy that's organized around either sperm or eggs. No human has ever been born that's been observed to have both sets of genitalia. And so, for example, XXY, that's called Klinefelter syndrome. It's where a male has an extra X chromosome. But he still develops anatomy, uh, testes and penis that are involved in, in sperm production and release. And the only way that we can treat uh, someone like, like a male who has Klinefelter syndrome, the only way we can treat him is first by knowing what his sex is, because his sex will impact his reproductive fertility, his hormone levels, and all these different body tissues. And so when they say that people are in between, they're conflating this kind of variation in, in genetic disorders or variation in even how people's bodies look with there being a continuum between male and female. But the sexes are more about than just what somebody's body or genitalia looks like. You know, it's about the reproductive function, mm-hmm. the, the provision of either sperm or eggs. And so that's so important to understand that they love to conflate all these different things, body type, genetics, chromosomes, but they're ignoring the fundamental definition of sex. They have to detach sex from reproduction for them to be successful. That's the, that's the, really the key to understand. That's a, that's a very, very good explanation. The entire thing is, is very well explained. I want to point out to people who may be listening to us, any listeners right now, <clears throat> wondering, well, who is this guy? He admitted he's not a scientist. He went to school for architecture, so he reads a lot. You do more than that. You cite all of your sources. I'm looking at the um, mm-hmm. one of the video screens <clears throat> about what we were just talking about, is intersex a third sex? And I, there's no less than seven sources cited just for this one particular video and the information presented therein from obstetrics and gynecology uh, to genetics to molecular brain research. All of this stuff is cited there, every scientific source. So this is not just somebody's opinion. This is researched as well as science can be mm-hmm. researched in each of yeah. these. I think that's very important for people to know. I and, do want uh, to say, too, that yeah. with 
any article that we write, any piece of video, especially ones that are really focused on the science, mm-hmm. they everything is thoroughly cited, and, and even we have oftentimes in-text citations. So those are useful for seeing which citation matches with which claim that we're making. So you can go search that for yourself as well. One article that we wrote on uh, a sex spectrum, dis- dismantling a sex spectrum argument, one article we had 40 uh, peer-reviewed sources and with in-text citations for each claim. So it's thoroughly backed up by scientific evidence. And I think yeah. people will appreciate that because they'll be able to look it up for themselves and learn more as well. Well, I do. I certainly do. I'm, I'm a layman, but but this is as thorough of scientific research as I have seen compiled in one place about this very, very important issue. So I want everybody to know this is not just an opinion book. This is scientifically researched and sourced and cited, and you should really check it out. It's called Binary by Zachary Elliott, debunking the me- the sex spectrum myth. And I want to send you to the website one more time, theparadoxinstitute.com, theparadoxinstitute.com. Research it for yourself. Watch some of the videos. Learn a little bit about what has been done here. Zachary, I wish we had more time. This is a very short interview. Um, I'd like to schedule a much longer one with you at some point because I think there's a lot of stuff to be learned here by a lot of people. So thank you. Best of luck with the book, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. Zachary Elliott joining us. We'll take a time out now, top of the hour, and come back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All then. Hour number three is underway on this Monday, the, uh, the uh, second morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2023, and we're wide open for you for phone calls this uh, final hour, 216-901-0945. If you would like to talk about the interview we just did, we can do that. Zach Elliott was very impressive. Uh, a lot of very important information there. And if you are looking to kind of, you know, buttress your own view of this very important issue in discussions or debates with coworkers or family members or whatever, and you're looking for more facts to back up your your point when you talk about sex and gender and when you talk about the binary and versus the spectrum claim that they make, arm yourself with these these facts. This information there is just thorough. Uh, use that, and you'll support your points uh, all the way through. So if you want to talk about that, we can. Right before that interview, we were also talking about some policing issues in Cleveland, uh, specifically with a member of the Cleveland's Civilian Police Commission, which apparently has authority over the authorities, which is just about as insane as insane can get. But it's only in, it's an OIC thing, right? Kind of. 
There's some other cities that do it, too, so it can't really be only in Cleveland, but it's expected of Cleveland, where the authorities are are um, are under the thumb and under the purview, if you will, of a bunch of civilians who have no idea about policing. I mean, think about how smart that is. <clears throat> it would be like taking... Somebody who, you know, the highest, uh, uh, you know, grade they ever got in a math class was a C. And they're walking into a, 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 a an advanced calculus classroom at a university. And I'm going to oversee how that professor does. I'm going to decide whether that professor is doing his job well, whether he's doing it thoroughly, whether or not he is, he is conveying the correct points to the students. Think about that for a moment. How stupid is it for non-professionals to be telling professionals how to do their jobs? But that's what this commission does. People with no experience or knowledge of policing, people with no idea how a cop is trained to do a job or how a cop should do a job or how a a situation can go from, from calm to dangerous and violent in a blink of an eye, they're out there on the scene following cops to arrests, to calls for service, to monitor them, and then to talk to them during the situation, taking the focus off of what could be very violent suspects, especially considering he was being arrested for mm, uh, uh, domestic violence. It's in the word. It's in the phrase. So the idea that these people should be out there, and if you missed that story of the uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, civilian review board member following police to a to a call uh, in Tremont. Somebody named Terry Wang, who's on the Cle- city of Cleveland's uh, 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 commission, she goes there and tells the cops how to do their jobs. I'm just here to make sure that man is okay. You know, why are you surrounding him with ten police officers? You know, why don't you try to de-escalate? And that's of course what they were doing. It's what they always do: is try to de-escalate. And the only time they have to use force is when they have to use force. That's the reality of it in 99.5% of the situations. And she's out there causing potentially more of a dangerous situation. So you want to talk about that, we can do that. And then, of course, I talked about President Trump, who's facing another ridiculous, bogus piece of crap trial today in this civil trial of his from Letitia James the politically driven prosecutor in New York over the valuation of his properties and whether or not he lied in order to gain advantages in business dealings. Um, While he's going through all of that, and for which I have great sympathy, he's out there giving speeches telling people that if he's president again, here's how we're going to cut down on all of this shoplifting and this looting. We're going to tell cops to shoot them as they leave the stores. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, saying that out loud. When I'm president, here's what we'll do. When you leave the store after looting it, you can fully expect to be shot. And then he emphasized it. Shot! Because that's how we're going to bring order back. I Find a cop who's going to follow that direct order. Find one. There's no cop who would listen to his superior, his sergeant, his captain, his chief of police. Nobody's going to shoot Somebody who is loading up a car with stolen goods. Not unless that individual is brandishing a weapon and threatening to harm either the cop or somebody else. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen when they say, well, the president told me to. That's a problem. 
It's a problem in messaging. It's a problem that's going to cost us a lot of votes in the election. I think that's a huge, huge issue. So if you want to respond to any of those things. In the meantime, I want to share one follow-up. Well, let me get to Chuck, because Chuck's been waiting through the news. Let's do that. Chuck in Cleveland, let's bring you up here before I uh, share this other story and take more calls. Go ahead, Chuck. Uh, thanks, Bob, for taking the call. Yeah, Chuck. My my uh, issue is with lobbyists. That's the problem with Washington. These lobbyists give manila envelopes to these politicians to make them sway their way to a vote. Okay, and you talking about the continuing uh, resolution that that was passed? Yeah, but okay. the other thing is, other thing is, President Obama made four point eight million dollars as a sitting president for eight years. Okay, granted, presidents don't pay for anything while they're in term. But my question is, how do you afford three houses for nine million dollars? Well, first of all, he made a heck of a lot. Yeah, he Biden he made is, yeah he made a heck of a lot Biden more than that, and he's not, not the, the only guy. one. Well, Biden well, was well, not the big guy. I'm saying it's Obama. No, no, no. That's that's and not accurate. Me, that's not accurate. Listen, there are a lot of ways, Chuck. Keep thanks for the call. Keep listening. There's a lot of ways that these people um, manage to go in with X amount of dollars and come out with X times five thousand. Uh, and I'm talking about I'm talking about just exponential ink. I'll give you an example. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez went into office with a net worth of a couple thousand dollars. She now has been a this is her second term, right? She's a two term congresswoman. She's now has a net worth of thirteen million dollars. <laughs> what? Well, she's she's written a book. She make $13 million off of a book, I highly doubt. You can look this stuff up. You can see people's net worth. You can look this stuff up. So, yes, corruption is deep everywhere. No, Barack Obama is not the big guy. Joe Biden is the big guy. It was made very clear on the laptop and corroborated by, by a bunch of other witnesses, including some of Hunter Biden's business partners. So uh, that that's who the big guy is. It is Joe Biden. It is the Biden's first family of crime. That does not mean Barack Obama didn't commit his share of crimes, because I firmly believe he did. But but in the Biden family, let's stay within the Biden family. Now, I'm going to go back to a follow-up to the story. Seth and I talked earlier today about this, you know, the hypersensitivity of uh, kids when it comes to football, and quite frankly, of parents, too. Um, if you didn't hear the story... <laughs> The St. Ignatius High School freshman football coach um, apparently sent a text message to the captains captains of his freshman team before they played their arch-rival St. Edwards. And he said some things that were, well, disparaging of the St. Edwards team, which is, they're not men like we are. They can't be Ignatius men. And they don't even deserve to be here with us. They probably couldn't get in here anyway. You know, typical football stuff. Somebody was so offended by it. However, they reported it to authorities. Now the coach had to miss the game. All of the coaches on the staff have to go through training. And somebody saw fit excuse me, to put this on TV. They made it a TV story, and it brought back, of course, <clears throat> the subject of the uh, Brooklyn um, Beachwood story from last week as well. And so I was reviewing some of the comments on the Brooklyn Beachwood story that we did. And I did an interview with the attorney for uh, the coach, former coach from Brooklyn, Tim McFarland. His name is uh, Peter Patakas, and I interviewed him last week. 
And I let him tell his story, and I let him tell the coach's story, and I let him give the context of why the word Nazi was used on their play calls, on their uh, on their line calls. Uh, I watched him explain it and show with, with actual physical evidence that this was something that was once approved by the Ohio High School Athletic Association Co- uh, Coaches Association, the OHSAA's Coaches Association. This is not unique to him, this particular coach, and it certainly was not geared or targeted at Beechwood that has a uh, high... Uh, um, uh, percentage of, of Jewish members of their community. <clears throat> so I did the interview. I supported the idea. I, I said it was not a good idea. I don't like the idea of using the word Nazi in it only because it does kind of just cause controversy. It's not anti-Semitic. It's just not. There are plenty of words that are anti-Semitic that I could say to you on the radio, but I would be very embarrassed by and probably get in trouble by. There are slurs that are anti-Semitic. If those were used, we have a different conversation here. The word Nazi, if anything, it's a slur toward German people who they who have to own their association with that uh, Nazi party that they uh, you know let control their country. If anything, calling somebody a Nazi would be the person who would be offended would be a Jew, or I mean, excuse me, a German, not a Jew. Jews would be uh, um, offended by a lot of other other words. But at any rate, I don't think he should have used it. But my point was, and in talking to the um, attorney. Intent has to matter. Intent has to matter. Context has to matter. And yes, the First Amendment and free speech has to matter. He cannot lose his job for such a thing, but he did. He resigned. He felt like he was forced to resign. He says he was asked to resign. It's my understanding that he wasn't asked to resign, but he was asked to consider whether resigning might be the best thing for everybody uh, and so forth. I don't know if he had not resigned what the re- what the outcome would have been, but... I was favorable to the attorney, and I'm favorable to the coach here, and I think the uh, folks in Beechwood, while well-intentioned, 99.5% of the time, are guilty of the worst kind of reaction in this case, which is overreaction. This was not specifically geared toward Beechwood. It was not geared toward Jews of any kind, in any place, anywhere. It was a football term that some people found distasteful, or rather it is a term that was used for football that some found distasteful. I bring this up because I went back to um, some of my Facebook comments when I posted the interview we did with uh, the attorney on my page, and I thought I would respond to some of these now. Tom wrote, great interview, great perspective, hypersensitivity has gone too far. Common sense must be returned to our social interactions. I hope this coach is restored and can retire wealthy from those who chose to drag him through the mud unnecessarily. I agree with almost all of that, Tom, but I will also tell you, no, he's not going to be restored, and he's not going to be able to retire wealthy because, well, he may indeed still file a lawsuit, so I'll hold off on that prediction, but he's not going to get his job back, and that's a problem. Jerry wrote, FYI, there was another local AM radio station that interviewed Peter Patakos and trashed him. They took the opposite view, that the coach should have known better and never used the word. Your interview of him and theirs were night and day. This is a very divisive issue. Well, my response to that, to Jerry online, and I'll expound upon it now, is some people support political correctness and cancel culture and do not respect and revere the First Amendment. I do. I I, I do revere the First Amendment, and I do not support cancel culture or political correctness. So if somebody else does and did, whether they're on the radio or in the newspaper or anywhere else, that's their problem. Uh, and you're right. It, it is a night and day thing. It is night and day. If this coach had targeted 
Jewish people or a Jewish community or, you know, a school, high school that's not a Jewish high school. It's a regular, it's a public high school, but it happens to be in a predominantly Jewish community. If he had done something that targeted them intentionally, I would be all over them. And I would be very defensive of the school in the Jewish community, in this case, Beechwood. But that is not what happened here. This was not intentionally targeting them. It didn't target them unintentionally either. It was a word that had been used in many a game, many a time, for many a year. And again, it was something that was taught by the High School Coaches Athletic Association. That matters a lot here. So if somebody else can't understand that context and wants to trash the attorney and the coach or whatever, uh, that's them. I'll let them do them, and I'll do me. And now this one is the one I really wanted to respond to. Daniel, um, I won't give his last name because I don't want to uh, uh, target anybody. Daniel says, quote, As a Jew who is 65 and have known many survivors of the Holocaust, I am personally insulted by your comments on the radio. With so much anti-Semitism in this country, you are barking up the wrong tree. I have listened to you for years. Usually I agree with you. On this subject, we Jews are right on cue. I am extremely uncomfortable and unhappy with your comments. Signed, Daniel. Actually, he signed that little note there, Danny. Okay, Danny. What I want to say here is is going to be redundant, but you but it needs to be repeated because you don't seem to understand. You're right about anti-Semitism being a problem in this country. I stand shoulder to shoulder with you in opposing anti-Semitism. I stand shoulder to shoulder with the state of Israel against those who trash it, including members of our own Congress, like, um, uh, why am I flicking on her name, Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar and Jayapal and, you know, all of the others who, you know, Palestinian and, and, and others who support Palestine and want Israel wiped off the map and are condemning them, calling them the butchers and the instigators of violence. I mean, I stand with Israel. I stand with Jews. I stand with the Jewish community. I, because everything you're talking about is real except for the football coach. Because the football coach wasn't being anti-Semitic. The football coach didn't had played Beachwood last year and used the same call. But guess what? The wrong ears didn't hear it last year. This year, the wrong ears heard it, and suddenly now it's a, wait, what? And and it's a, we have to, we have to come down on this hateful anti-Semitic community in Brooklyn, and this coach has got to go, no, no, no. This is not anti-Semitism. Hearing the word Nazi does not make someone anti-semitic if someone says i am a proud nazi a member of the national socialist party from the 1930s and 40s german then yes you can assume that person is indeed anti-semitic a coach using that term to reference blitzing is not practicing anti-semitism so i responded to daniel nazi is not an anti-semitic term and i'm surprised you didn't know that and he said doesn't matter well, why does it not matter? You mentioned anti-Semitism is, is the argument here. If it's not an anti-Semitic term, what is your argument? And he said, six million Jews died at their hands. Well, I know that. 
The world is well aware of that. The world is outraged at that. But there is nothing about that that has anything to do with this story. The Nazi war machine used blitzkrieg tactics. Using the word Nazi to make teammates aware of a coming blitz is not ideal. But it's also not anti-Semitic. And it should not lead to a head coach losing his job. And that's what I say, said to Daniel, what I'll say out loud here now. Overreaction is usually the worst type of reaction. And that's what this is. This is an overreaction. There was no intent. There was no trauma. It was a line call. And when they told him we don't like it, he said, oh, okay, I'll change it. And changed it for the second half. And now that sh- what should have been the end of the story, which should have been a non-story, has become a national story. An ESPN.com story. A New York Times story. It's an everywhere story because overreaction is the worst reaction. If you want to follow up on that, you may. 1127 Stay here on Always Right Radio. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. So, um... Maybe sometimes it just takes, you know, a little bit of calm, a little bit of common sense, a little bit of, you know, reason to uh, to bring about understanding. Um, I just got a response to the conversation I was just having or the latest that I shared with you about this uh, Brooklyn Beachwood Nazi story, which to me should have been a non story. Um, Daniel, the individual who I was engaging with and who I was quoting in my responses, uh, just said, I agree. But that's just the reality of the situation. Perception is what matters. Even if the facts are wrong, people are upset. I don't want him to lose his job, but the city I grew up in is going bonkers. He's talking about Beachwood. You know, they're going bonkers. They're upset. They're mad. And my respect, first of all, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate what he just said because he's letting his initial emotional reaction, you know, take a back seat to rational reaction, to, to reasonable reaction. And, and my response is, you know, I understand that people are upset, but we cannot let emotion take control of our reason. Intent matters and facts matter. He said the facts, even if the facts are wrong, perception is what matters. Okay. Well, if the facts are wrong, then they should be corrected so that people can then view the situation and judge their emotional reaction to it based on the corrected facts rather than the misunderstood or misinterpreted facts, which are, of course, not the facts. Then the situation can be judged fairly based upon those corrected facts. That's the way it has to happen. The funniest reactions, by the way, that I have seen to this story which, again, I repeat, should be a non-story. I would not have brought it up again today if I didn't have more. First of all, I didn't have that Ed's uh, and Ignatius story to share with you. Um, and uh, the fact that this continues to be in the news. Um, the, the funniest reactions are from the people who are so upset by the Brooklyn coach and player using the word Nazi. 
people are so upset by that, by hearing the word Nazi. It's so traumatic that their response is to call the Brooklyn coach a Nazi. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're calling. I actually saw somebody, because I did the interview with Peter Patakis on Twitter, saying, it figures France is defending a Nazi. Like, wait a minute. I thought you just condemned that guy because he used the word Nazi. Now your response to that is to say that he himself is a Nazi. Did you not just see what happened there? You didn't want him using the word Nazi, and your response is to use the word Nazi to condemn him. And this is happening by to, uh, uh, with a lot of people. It's it's kind of bizarre. It's kind of it's, it's more than bizarre. It's it's just completely nonsensible. Um, so there's just there's just the update update to the story that I have right now. I want to close with a story of some good news uh, this Monday morning. The good news is Joe Biden is mad. Well, why is that good news? Well, generally speaking, if something is happening that Joe Biden dislikes, it's a good thing because he's that freaking stupid. But in this particular case, why is Joe Biden mad? Joe Biden is mad and lashing out after people have begun to say we're not buying it when it comes to the new round of of poison darts. Biden appeared at the Fairmont San Francisco Hotel in San Francisco to deliver a short speech on America's efforts on artificial intelligence, but he opened up his speech claiming it's disturbed him that the federal government has not paid attention to investments in science and technology. And he went off script there to say, speaking of science, we used to lead the world in research and development in science and technology, and now I don't know how we can be the safest, most secure, and healthiest nation in the world without significant investment in science and technology such as the vaccine deniers. One of those areas, he said, you saw what happened with regard to the crisis, health crisis that we had that cost us. We lost well over a million people, which is bunk. And as the time began to move on, you had more and more voices saying, no, 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 you don't need to get that shot. You don't need to be get. You don't need to. And we have a new strain of COVID now, and we have answers for it. You have no idea if you have answers for it, you freaking liar. But I just would urge those in public life and both political parties or no political party to be cautious about the sometimes inflammatory things you say about this because people's lives are at stake. Those darts took people's lives. Those darts took people's lives. You understand that? And they did not in no way, in any way, shape, or form prevent people from getting COVID. You had to change that lie that you started with at the beginning. It, it prevents people from getting COVID, too. Well, it lessens the symptoms. This is just, and the reality, by the way, is according to a new survey among U.S. adults, this survey was done by the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, a vaccine monitor poll, more than half of Americans say they probably or definitely will not get the new shots. Conversely, 23% say they definitely plan to do it. Another 23 will probably. So the tide has shifted. We're opening our eyes. We're much smarter now. We're much more aware of the kind of uh, garbage that they're trying to feed us and the worst garbage that they're trying to jam into our arms. So that's a good way to end this one. Although I'm told now I need to take a couple of phone calls because uh, people want to talk about the coach. Okay, we can do that, too, before we're done here. Uh, Diane in West Park. Diane, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, it sounds like kids uh, blindfolded who are swinging at a pinata. 
They don't know what way to go. All of this stuff is like we don't, we've been turned this way, that way, that, not we including us, people who have kept our our brains intact, or, or my God, we hope to. But people don't know how to think clearly anymore. And like like Daniel, God bless him, that he, that he realized, and, oh, Bob, you should have the opening argument on the, on the coach's case because that was such a well, well-executed, calm, cool, and very, I don't know. I know you, you think I compliment you too much, but people have lost their way. They don't know how to respond to words. We were so, we're being so conditioned that we just have lost the way to think. Well, you know what? Um, you're right. We have, uh, um, and 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 I think the argument that I made is someone that that most people could make if they stop and slow down and and don't let their emotions take control of them, and if they just look at this reasonably and rationally, and and add all of the pieces up together. I think it's pretty easy for anybody to do. That's the reason I, I kind of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm humbled by your comments and your, your kind words, but I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that most people can't understand and do themselves. And that is, look well, at the, look at the you've facts. You've stated it better than anyone else. Well, that, 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 that is very nice of you. But, but, but the nice thing is, or I, maybe the good thing is, I guess I should say, is when I do explain those things that way, most people get that and say absolutely, and they can share that view with others because it's not, you know, we're not, I'm not, I'm not splitting the atom here. The reality is that if this had been put in the day before or the week of the Beachwood game for the purposes of inflaming a Jewish community, um, that would be a very different conversation. I would condemn it completely. But the fact that it's been used for, for years and years and recommended by the Ohio Co- Coaches Association decades ago for crying out loud. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.